Back in my day, iPods had click wheels. In honor of Steve Jobs, who is cinema's most forgivable absentee parent? I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with Mrs. Jumbo in Dumbo because she's been locked up by those horrible circus people, and all she wants to do is sing a lullaby to her son and also make you cry. Hey, it's me, David the Seven, the father from Edward Scissorhands, because he was just about to attach the hands, and he would have, except then the movie would have been about just a weird-looking kid. I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with Catherine O'Hara, a.k.a. Kate McAllister, in Home Alone, because Kevin! And I'm David Ehrlich, and I, uh, I'm i going to go with Ethan Hawke in Before Midnight, because he really wanted to find a way to work it out, living in the same country as his son, but... His life took a number of strange turns. Kevin! Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's It's a podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 90 for Tuesday, October 6, 2015, the year of our Time Lord, Dr. Emmett Brown. We come closer and closer to the day that Marty McFly came into this year to see Jaws 17. Uh, before we get started this week, David, we have any new reviews? We do. It's also, I mean, even I know this, which is upsetting to me more than anything else, Jaws but it's 19. Jaws 19. 19. Oh, God. They even put out a fake trailer for the movie. This I, well, I literally that's the only have a poster why for it at my I desk. Know, I work. really wrestled with myself uh, with the idea of... <laughs> giving into this crap, but I watched it, uh, and it just reminded me of uh, a cheap knockoff of the end gags from 22 Jump Street, but here we are. Um, okay, we do have a very nice review from Gin in Teacups, who says that fighting in the war room brings joy to my life. Fighting in the war room is without a question, and without anybody else even coming close, and anybody else even coming in a close second. My favorite podcast, David, Katie, Patches, and Dave bring a variety of tastes and opinions to their always lively discussions, and they do what the best film criticism does, make you want to see the film yourself so you can be part of the conversation also. There's also a great personal touch to this podcast, especially when they have a quarter quell and discuss films that have been meaningful to them throughout their lives. I adore all the hosts equally, but... I particularly want to stand up for David Ehrlich, whose yeah. forceful opinions and convictions are pure can, delight. Can you say we don't need anyone else to stick up for David Ehrlich? <laughs> Everyone Someone needs loves to him. stand up for David Ehrlich. <laughs> How about no, us lonely need... vanilla people over here <laughs> who struggle? P- please disregard patches. I need every last drop of affirmation that I can get. Um, uh, thanks to him, I finally made time for certified copy and close-up and got a Vimeo account just to watch World of Tomorrow. This is music to my ears. Uh, Whenever my iTunes updates with a new Fighting in the War Room episode, it makes my day that much happier. Well, Gin and Teacups, you've made our day that much happier for leaving a review, uh, and I hope you enjoyed those three films. Thanks for listening. That is the best endorsement you could ask for, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So you can be like Gin and Teacups and leave us a review on iTunes and then also subscribe. And uh, you should be. All of you can be as as beloved by us as Gin and Teacups, and uh, thank you for that review. Now back to drinking gin and teacups. It's true. Theme song, my leather black jeans song. 
television season again, and usually I'd be talking about an American horror story, and I'm not necessarily canceling that out, but I'm usually excited about new television season because it means a new show or a season of a returning show that I'm especially looking forward to. Either there was some crazy cliffhanger, or it's just a show that I'm like devoutly in love with, and it's fall, and we're getting back to the grindstone, which means a long day of work followed by a long night of catching up with the uh, TV I want to watch. But this year, I don't know if it's... I mean, it's definitely there are some staggered release dates for my returning superhero shows, but there was a lack of, uh, I guess, cherries that I wanted to pick out of the new crop, your minority reports for television, or even the returning season twos, with like the exception of maybe Fargo, which is an anthology series, which is kind of like unfair to say you want to see the second season of an anthology series more than you want to see a new show but i guess that's sort of based on casting i guess my question is i mean is this something that is um no more introduction because i want to talk (laughs) i was also uh you know polling people about what television shows they were going to watch and there was actually a a litany of answers that i could have also selected one that i could have picked but it's like everybody came up with a reason that is like would have been a good enough reason three years ago for me to watch a TV show. But now with there being so much TV, it's almost like the buffet is so full. I'm having trouble focusing on things in like the actual premiere week. So when I was supposed to be all hyped about the return of something or other, really at the back of my mind, I'm thinking I'm going to give everything four weeks and see what people are still talking about and then maybe tune back in. Mm-hmm. So is this like I'm thinking is this the downside of peak television in terms of how we consume it through broadcast or is this just an exec- exceptionally bad season for television? I think what you're saying about waiting something out is something I I'm sure I've said on this podcast before and that like I feel no motivation to jump on board a new show until I hear things about it. Like I heard you know three or four podcasts talking about how the grinder is actually pretty good this roblo sitcom no. on fox i don't know i heard i haven't watched it but i heard enough things about it that maybe if i were a normal tv viewer 10 years ago i'd be like all right i will watch the grinder i am going to catch that at some point when it is convenient for me on fox on demand like there's no reason to jump on board something especially if like maybe the second episode is bad maybe it gets canceled like there's it's the the motivation to invest early isn't there which is really makes it really hard for these shows to succeed sadly but they shouldn't succeed they need to fail they need to go away right i mean Wait, what just... if they're what if they're good like what if the new freaks and geeks debuts and then, then nobody watches watch it? it i don't think that's true i think in the the landscape especially people who are tuned in are like oh i hear that's good i'll watch it on hulu when i have time or, in four weeks or in four years i think we're at a point where Oh, where networks will invest in quality programming for at least a year. We're, networks we're almost... or no, other no, or non-networks? No. Yes. Not, not like, I mean, networks can mean a lot of things, but not like the major networks. Uh, yes, the major networks, I think, will invest in a quality show that does okay. And case in point would be Last Man on Earth, which had a huge shows. debut, but didn't, didn't like keep it up. I mean, they, they well, had, it had decent a huge, numbers, but... It had a huge debut, but it's like, if everybody watch TV shows the way I want to watch TV shows, everything would have no ratings for the first four weeks because I'm trying to wait for like a zeitgeist hit to come find me. But ultimately, that would kill the show that I want to watch because nobody would have been watching it but I, to tell me if it I was good. I don't know. I think we're kind of beyond that a little bit, that 
with with the dawn of streaming and the dawn of binge watching that networks are going back to this era that kept Seinfeld alive you know Seinfeld is the notorious show that if if it been canceled if it had come on the air like six years ago it would have been canceled on four episodes because the ratings weren't there but now it's a different time I think that uh, just a lot of the shows are bad, you know, and are but, shooting for lowest common denominator. Maybe the people who are still just, you know, hitting the couch after work and being like, just whatever's on, just put it on, make me laugh. Uh, but what evidence do you have of this besides? Um, and I'm genuinely asking because, like, it's well, very Last Man on Earth for me is a huge to, one. Well, I was going to say beyond. Well, Last Hannibal, Man on Earth, I was especially an hour long. Yeah. Hannibal, which was canceled. Well, but Hannibal uh, lasted Hannibal for last, three seasons yeah. off no rating exactly. at all. That's, a, well, that's because, a prime example. Yeah, I mean, but it's also a unique set up financially and that uh you know the show was almost entirely financed by italian money and they paid a nominal fee to air it in the states but it was not well, like, i mean that's how a lot more as part I mean, of the network that's how amc is airing a bunch of its show right now but like I think being that, like, human but or AMC's almost human network i think that like you can safely go through life at this point um because of how the networks work because of how they are diametrically opposed to quality it's averse their business model almost i think that's you can never watch correct an hour-long show on a network and live very happily. The half-hour shows, the sitcoms, uh, where you don't really, they don't really make alternatives elsewhere. Uh, I really like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I really like New Girl. I really like Last Man on Earth. Those, those are solid shows because they work in that format. But when it comes to an hour-long... Empire, I, I just, David. Empire. No. no. Uh, I think that, like, you know... <laughs> well, like, we've uh, talked before. Shondaland. I, I, uh, now I just sound racist, having named two shows that are... Uh, uh, I mean, <laughs> Empire and Scandal no. are the probably the two biggest. But we've, I've talked about Good Wife on this uh, podcast before, and I'm always looking for something new, something that's not serialized necessarily. I mean, Good Wife has plot overarching plots that last all season, but when it boils down to it, it's another procedural. It's 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 SVU with a brain, on, you know, on its neck, uh, head on its neck, and that's what I would look for from network programming. I don't want to watch something uber serious and and stretched longer than it should have to be. That's a problem that the cable's running into. That I'm kind of fleeing from cable television to network like television. What? what do you mean? What are you thinking of that's over serious on cable that you're running? Well, on? I'm watching season one of Fargo right now, and I'm excited to see season two. Got the screeners, haven't watched them, but I, I am looking forward to it. But I do think that Fargo is this acclaimed show that has a lot of cinematic quality that attracted that I, you know, when I'm reading reviews from our critic friends, that's it's wow, this is just really standing apart because it's it's like a movie. It's but it's it's like uh, a movie except it's I just... ten episodes long, <laughs> and this it's suffering from this kind of cable treatment. And I'm just like, I wish this movie, or I wish it could be a movie, or I wish I could be just watching well, something uh, with these characters, this caliber that doesn't have I to just mess watched with the, the same first plot season of the Nick, so and uh, I just watched all the first season of the Nick in like seventy two hours and that effectively feels like a 10 hour movie um particularly because of the uh directorial consistency it all coming from steven spielberg i was Soderberg. blown away so Soderberg. steven jesus christ Let's we saw clear. Spies yesterday he's on the brain <laughs> uh steven Soderberg. um and i was blown away yeah the nick uh, is unbelievable the nick is awesome but um yeah i mean i think empire is a really interesting example because i think that like you know regardless of whether or not it's my cup of tea it the 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 soap opera of it all and look all the, I mean, there more happens before the first commercial break on an episode of Empire than happens in most entire seasons well, that's of why I like other the OC television years ago and it's yeah the OC was well, no but I think that like Empire's success should is 
it's interesting. I mean, a lot of it is tied back to, to catering to an audience that is typically ignored. And uh, we see time and again, you know, the same articles every time a film like Straight Outta Compton does well. And it's like, oh, who knew? Black people or women wanted to see movies, whatever the case might be. Um, and it's like, of course, the, 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 all these demographics are interested. Uh, but I do think that Empire's narrative mode is, is a huge part of its success, yes. which is like constantly, as you see it like in American yeah, horror stories as well. Yeah, but why are you it an outlier? I don't really understand why you're saying well, it's well, a, it I'm not got, saying it's, it's an outlier. It I'm out. saying that like that's the, well, I, I think just that's the, like network TV in order to, in order to survive right now when the axes are falling so fast needs to be, uh, it needs to be paced in that way. It needs to dull it information in that way. And it tends to not lead to very compelling storytelling, at least to my mind. What was the Um, last network show that you watched on a regular basis? Drama? I've seen, I've seen every episode of the good wife. I've seen a whole bunch of empire. I've seen, uh, um, a lot. Uh-huh. I don't know. <laughs> I watched, I watched I, especially this, at least recently because now I have to do it for work. But uh, there's I mean, a the, reason the, that a lot the of these plot, shows are not on network TV. The plotting sense, uh, the plotting part makes a lot of sense in the sense that like even shows like Empires have been cut down to like 12 episodes. So they're doing what we used to consider like limited runs has now become like the norm because Although you I need think to Empire, keep the plot running. I think Empire got a more standard order for this season. Oh, did it? It's going to be so. interesting to see if it could sustain that plot running without becoming like a straight up soap well, opera. Maybe you know, ninety if, if years Empire old is... by the end of it. That's just they're going to be Rip Van Winkling. Katie, how many episodes is Empire going to be this season? I don't know. Let me look it up while we talk. Because, uh, like, I... I think that that is. It's also one of the reasons why these. Um, this isn't a particularly novel thought, but I think that like one of the reasons that shows on AMC and HBO have performed well is because they. Uh, are more within the realm of possibility creatively uh, and energy-wise for their showrunners, for their cast, their crew. Um, it's very almost impossible to have like a compelling 22-episode season of an hour-long drama it's not on a novel TV concept that because does not Dave suffer. Just <laughs> Dave just yeah. said that. Yeah, well, no, I know, but I'm just re- em- reiterating. Empire has um, been renewed for 18 episodes this season. Oh, yeah, wow. it, just, it sounds like a lot, but it's I guess it's probably more manageable than 20. It's less than what Lost had to deal with, which is yeah. part of what made yeah, Lost. And, well, but crazy. then yeah. Lost got good when they cut the seasons down to 13 episodes. Yeah, season, I did. I, well, I think what's so difficult with this new wave of network television shows is that a lot of them are just trying to be cable shows. You look at Minority Report, horrible. I, I really hated it. Um, and Steven Spielberg, not Soderbergh. You should be ashamed of yourself for allowing this movie to be adapted into TV. Uh, the same man who allowed Terra Transformers Nova. 1, 2, oh, and 4 true. to happen. Yeah. Well, I don't think he cares. He allowed like... Eagle Eye to happen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> haven't thought about that one in a while. Exactly. But um, yeah, Minority Report, it's, it's, it's just, it should just be a procedural, but it chooses to be have these serialized elements. It chooses to have this big production value. It tries to be a movie. tries to ape cable. And I think of something like Blind Spot, which again, high concepts, should probably just be a movie. No, it must be a television <laughs> show. Everything should just be. No, I'm convinced that. Wait, what's the show about the tattooed woman? That's Blind, Blind Spot. Spot. Okay, that's definitely. Definitely not a real show. It's a show that they it made up on forgetting Sarah Marshall. I think no. And, I think it's a Jack Donaghy idea from Thirty yeah. Rock. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, but, you know where he's going. He's going to need to know how to masturbate. Kind I, of show. Like. I want television. I want broadcast network television to go back to 
episode to episode storytelling to have great cast of characters to be simpler that's the problem that these prestige shows that you're talking about on cable david are the gravitational force they're trying to be them when really it should be go back to what you seem to hate which is just small stories simple laughs little drama moments you know that's i think that's why people loved parenthood because it's just like nothing well i think my favorite show of all time is uh, well besides maybe mad men is gilmore girls i can't think of anything that's more uh you know small towny moments than that right but Uh, i've been watching it and that was made on a on a on a broadcast network so what's the problem yeah nobody's making that was made on a broadcast network a long time ago it was and it was a fledgling network as well that was really looking for anything that smacked of quality and it was at a time where not all the hour-long new shows had to have superheroes or demons or whatever um good luck getting the gilmore girls on the air now abc family no. tried it with bunheads that didn't go over so well. a demon. you're a demon wow <laughs> i mean i've been watching friday night lights which i think is a really similar model but also really struggled in the ratings and barely stayed on the air for that long yeah, I mean, also survived because it was ended up being really cheap to shoot it the way they were. Yeah, and the town was really many. We could we could talk about past shows all the time, but what I'm kind of hearing is it's just just down down season. Well, Dave, have you down seen season anything television as list? we wrap up this segment? Have you seen anything worth watching on on network TV? This new season, I mean, I think that the season of Rick and Morty that just ended on Sunday might be the greatest adult animation currently running. Let's see. I will turn to Bob's Burgers for that, and that's on network television. But I guess that's falling into the sitcom pass that David's giving broadcast TV. I mean, hour long, hour long stuff is difficult just because the way we digest it sort of evolves as a television nation. And, also, and right now we're post we're post twenty four, but we haven't figured out how to like pull back on the brakes yet. Yeah, and hour long is something you're more likely to wait and binge watch and be like, oh yeah, I hear it's good. I'll catch up with it at yeah. some point, which is how Breaking Bad grew. Yeah, and I want to reiterate my complaint that Project Greenlight is only half an hour long. Oh yeah, dumb. <laughs> So this week, or recently, we got to hear Sam Smith's Writings on the Wall, which is the Bond theme song from Spectre. I don't like it. It feels like it's a little too simple and not really operatic and ridiculous in the ways that I feel like the best Bond themes are. So in honor of Swing and a Miss from Sam Smith uh, for Spectre, I uh, chose everybody. All right, I tasked everybody with choosing their favorite Bond theme song, uh, and uh, the person who gets to go first uh, gets to get their top pick because we're not going to allow any repeats. Who's that going to be? I'll yes. go. Yeah, yeah, I chose Katie. Diamonds are forever because it's got a great diamonds look. are forever. Exactly. The rest of the song is like kind of fine, but diamonds are forever. That's an amazing hook. I think it's a better hook than Goldfinger. What? Mm. Just Gold. a hook. Goldfinger Gold was going to be my pick. Well, fine, go. Actually, you know what? Goldfinger was going to be my pick, but if I'm being honest, like deep down, the the Golden Eye theme by Tina Turner, uh, I I like sing in my sleep. I'll wake really? up in a cold sweat. And I'll be like Golden Eye, la 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 la. <laughs> I don't know why. I just do it. I'm sure Michelle loves. I that. I didn't realize that Bono and the Edge wrote it, which makes me kind of upset but oh that that makes it make lyrical sense which it never did before this very moment 
Tina Turner. Fresh yeah. Uh, well, I will go with what seems to be an obvious choice, but there are also a few, uh, you know, these are all good choices. There are actually a few solid songs in the 22 movies or whatever it's been. Um, but uh, Live and Let Die, Paul McCartney and Wings. Um, I always, I always fall asleep during that song. Every single Live and Let it's Die. Like 10 How minutes long. Da, na, na, da, na, na. Mm-hmm. It's like Mission Impossible mm-hmm. exciting. Yeah, it has a lot of switches in tone very yeah. suddenly, which is great for the song. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to pick uh, no, Nobody Does It Better from The Spy Who Loved Me. Because, uh, baby, you're the best. How can you hate the Sam Smith song but love the, like, Joel Carly Simon song? I mean, it's just... It's because so it's operatic slow. and silly. Well, Unlike silly. Writings it's on the Wall. serious. Nobody no, does it no, but it's it's about it's an entendre for not only spying but sexy times. Silly and love. Aha, singing the living daylights. Silly also good. Also would have been a good choice. Really, there's very few wrong choices. Die another day is probably a wrong choice. Yeah, this is that probably... uh, that Jack White Alicia Keys one. Probably not good. The Cheryl Crow one isn't great. I can't. Even although it, it does get the ridiculous right. Song. How does it go? Another Which one? way to die, ba do like that, right? Okay. Which one? That was yeah, the yeah. white Alicia Keys one. It just has a lot of like drums in it. Yeah, it doesn't have words. It's doopa deepa doopa dee. Uh, it's it's scat actually. Loved it. It's so adventurous. October. This is the month that has Halloween in it, and for some reason, it's like this. Uh, I mean, there are lots of big movies around the Fourth of July, but outside of Christmas, Halloween seems to be the other uh, holiday that movies sort of gather around as uh, either ritualistic watching, as like some sort of comfort food, or as my favorite thing for uh, group cinematic experiences, like group events, like everyone gets together and watches blank. Or it used to be, as I was saying uh, before we started recording, I think there was a time or a generation previous to us where it used to be like Halloween time is when you'd go and see the Rocky Horror Picture Show with people and get introduced to that whole ritual of ridiculousness and forks I think they throw at the screen and whatnot. But I'm uh, curious as to what makes Halloween a good time for filmic canon uh, if it's just because like horror is a good genre or if it has something to do with, uh, I don't know, reasons we come together that are non-religious. I'm reaching, but I want to have a jumping <laughs> off point. Of uh, I asked everybody to sort of pick a movie or I guess in Katie's case, we'll talk around other movies that she likes to watch on this time of year. I'm a scaredy Wait, baby. Let me throw this out here first. There's been yeah. serious revisionism, as far as I'm concerned, about the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I thought everyone liked this movie, but people do not like this movie. What is the, what is the, the consensus here on Fighting in the War Room regarding oh, Rocky Horror Picture Show? Oh, we're going to settle this now. Which oh, is great. Yeah. Really? Great? 
Yes, great. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it since high school. I can't. Uh, I can't I'm gonna. I'm. I'm. Feel really strongly that I have never seen it and never will. Oh. <laughs> Wait, why would you never want to see it? Because it holds a special place in people's hearts and it's film history. It's just, it's worth you seeing. know, when you get to be as shitty old as I am. Wow. You know, what? you have a better sense of what you need to spend time on and what you don't. Can you I tell us Dave's that... birthday month yet? <laughs> yeah, please don't remind me. I keep forgetting. <laughs> uh, just like I forget everything else because I'm so old. But the uh, I know the movie's out there. I know what it is. I've seen probably the whole thing in just building up at its scenes over the years. But by the time I saw um, uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower, that was the last straw. I I have Why no place for this movie. I don't understand. So people like it, and it must be terrible. No, it just it just like I'm not. I you know I I I don't I can't put this into words. I'm just not really interested in seeing it. Um, I disliked everything about it that I have seen. I I uh, the subculture that's sort of formed around it seems fun uh, for them, not for me. <laughs> Life is short. Got things to do. <laughs> I, I don't think it requires a subculture. I mean, it's just a zany movie, and it's exactly what Dave's talking about. It's fun to watch around Halloween. The songs are are upbeat and fun. What? Why does it? Ha- you don't have to go and dress up and throw forks at the screen to enjoy this movie. Or I mean, like, I think that's the that's the, it's one of those movies that it's really difficult to sell because its reputation precedes it. It's like if someone were to like you know introduce you to Star Wars and you didn't grow up with it. Uh, I feel like there are certain things or like you know people who saw The Exorcist when they were young or when it came out and it was like the scariest movie ever made to them to then come back and like tell like a 35 year old man that hasn't seen The Exorcist that it's going to be the scariest thing ever you're not going to live up those expectations but I think the movie's fine I think it suffers for you could only see it with a raucous group of weirdos who have seen it like five times before The Patches family was raucous enough for me Oh yeah, you watched it with your Yo, family? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. It well, was introduced to me play on VH1 every Halloween. It did. I remember that. Which was helpful. I had to have it introduced to me by like cooler kids at arts camp because I had never heard of it before. I was like, I was not 16, in the I yeah. I was not in the perks of being a wallflower crowd who like was was ostracized by cool kids, and I fled to Rocky Horror Picture Show screenings, and that's. I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know anyone in the city big enough to have Rocky Horror Picture Show screenings. I'm hearing I think really in the South- loud sounds in the background. Anyone else? Yeah, that was my girlfriend going into the bedroom. Oh, okay. It's important to know that David's girlfriend brought him a brownie over the course she of this did. recording. She did. Hey, man, you didn't need Rocky Horror Picture Show to meet yourself a nice lady. Exactly. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't think that necessarily should be the point, Katie. <laughs> well, I don't watch horror movies, so that's all I know. Well, um, when am I going to meet some ladies? Asked your Katie favorite to... movie of last year was Foxcatcher. That's the most horrifying movie I've ever seen. I'm, Three hours and... of watching Steve Carell and that fucking nose. I invite you all over to watch Foxcatcher with me this Halloween. It'll be Ooh. very appropriate. Um, I think I do have a nostalgic attachment to Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which I uh, watched in high school, like as one of those, like invite everyone over to watch a silly horror movie on Halloween things. Um, and at that point, you know, as I guess I was an emboldened teenager and could make fun of it, I think I'd now probably be scared. But uh, also shouts to Casper, very seminal Halloween movie from my youth. It is, I'm sure it is not good. But uh, <laughs> Devin Saw was a cutie when I was in sixth grade. He wasn't even he's in, in the movie. Yeah, yeah he's I mean, at the he's, very he's end. At the we very got very end. 
We're, we got very excited for Devin Jesus. Sawa to show up. It's like a climax moment for you guys in high school. Like, oh, Devin Sawa, there he is. I mean, <laughs> I was, I was <gasps> 11. Like, if you were in high I, school I and crushing on Devin I vividly remember the day Sawa. that I went to see Casper in theaters. You vividly uh, remember the time you climaxed with Devin Sawa became exactly. a little boy. Yeah, <laughs> no. Uh, no, who was the girl in that? I remember Christina liking Christina her. Christina Ricci. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They made uh, so many spinoffs of that movie, too. Oh, I man. I was not watching MTV. Because I wasn't supposed to watch MTV as a kid, I was watching Casper spin off. I, I had the biggest family. headache that day, and then my mom drove me to the movie theater, and I saw Casper. I remember, and really? it, it cured what ailed me. I'm learning a lot about like what our curfews and rules were from our parents. Curfews, <laughs> well, like, like P- Patches wasn't allowed to watch MTV, and no, I grew up in a in a cave. <laughs> you could watch whatever you could kill, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, I, what movies I find uh, that are really fun to watch with other people are the Final Destination movies. Mm, yeah, um, I always those, those movies are are a bit flat alone, but I, it can be an enormous amount of fun in groups. I was at a cabin last year over Fourth of July, and they somebody brought a projector, and there was like the one DVD that we had. It was Final Destination. I think it was five, four, or five. Um, it was the one that ends with that great twist ending. Um, yeah. And we watched it on the screen. It was great fun. Wait, isn't the first one that ends with a twist ending? Which one? Ends well, with a twist I mean, ending? The, your definition of twists can accommodate probably all of them, but one of them, the most recent one, the final one, the final final destination, ends so with a uh, timeline skewing plot twist that is a lot more twisty and satisfying Devin than any of the other plot up. twists. He becomes a real boy at the end. <laughs> right. Never no. guess. Uh, yeah, what about you, Dave? What about me? Uh, yeah. I think I've seen, uh, in my lifetime, seen the rise of both uh, Hocus Pocus and Nightmare Before Christmas as movies that you can kind of throw on with anybody around. and they, There's enough of a, I guess, sort of love for them that it's not at the... Rocky Horror failed expectations level. It's still at a we're all recognizing something that we all liked nostalgically from this time of year. Even though Nightmare kind of swings both directions, I tend to pull it more towards Halloween than Christmas because Christmas has a whole ton of other emotional baggage with those uh, holiday-themed movies than Halloween. Can, you know, let it be a movie about cool imagery and sort of a weird tale about not... Uh, fucking around outside of what you know. Well, in Christmas movies, you're never gonna you like you're not gonna pick a Christmas movie to watch with your friends. So it's got like a whole like you're saying like a whole different set of baggage. What do you mean? I don't know. Like you watch Christmas movies with your family. Like that's the whole like why Christmas movies you are know, made the way they are. I'm not really on board with how broad the, and, and you know royal the U is in this wow. situation. Uh, Fair enough. Um, I uh, very sensitive about not having that experience growing up, but I uh, have made it for myself. Christmas movies are one of my favorite types of movies. But do you <laughs> like, watch them with friends? Like, are there something you would like invite people over and be like, "Let's watch Elf"? No, although I, if there's ever a time for me to do that, it's usually on New Year's Day, mm. Um, mm. which seems they don't necessarily have to be Christmas movies, but I feel like they often are. But um, uh, I remember going to your house on New Year's Day to watch Sleeping Beauty on Blu-ray. Yeah, one everyone's like super hungover. Mm-hmm. And you just sort of lie around. But uh, um, I, yeah, I mean, I, Christmas movies, they they fill me with, with holiday cheer. What can I say? But I, I did you, don't did you have, necessarily like, see them as a communal experience any more so than other movies. 
Did you have like a dare movie when you were like young? Like you won't believe like the ending of blank and you all had to like rent it from Blockbuster at one time? Uh, for me, my dare movies have always just been like esoteric slow cinema. It's like I dare you to go watch <laughs> out one and bam. There's more than one of you to dare another one of you. <laughs> what, what was well, what are you thinking of, Dave, when you, when you reference a dare movie? Like what was your dare movie? I don't Oh, I don't know. I mean, I remember, let's see, somebody had a VHS copy of half of one of the Faces of Deaths. And so it would just sort of like phase in from something else somebody else was taping. And you'd see like some weird narration. And like, I don't even knew, I didn't know it was Faces of Death or Faces of Death 2 until like later on in life. But it was like this tape that I very distinctly remember like passing around between like middle school people. That was the ring be- tape. Oh. Well, I mean... <laughs> Maybe that's because there there's aren't like tapes anymore. It's like nobody's sending each other links to like weird little short films and stuff. But that used to be a thing where it's like one of you got your hands on something, and so everybody needed to see it at the same time. I I don't know. I mean, this is I I apologize for where this conversation is about to go. Um, about yeah, to yeah. Tell a very gross story, but I I vividly remember being like. Uh, very the, like the internet was very very young and i must have been like 13 uh and uh, a friend came over to my house where me and my other friends were and he showed us a video that afterwards there was really nothing nothing else nowhere else to go as far as like taboo things to watch i mean this is like a decade just before hardcore porn two girls together. and one cup no but he like <laughs> showed a video of uh Someone shitting into someone else's mouth. Wow! And oh I was like, Wait, on your computer <laughs> or on a tape? Uh, no, it was on. Uh, it was on a like dial-up modem. Wow! <laughs> and, and so it took so long I to think load. It took him, like he had to set it up for like three days. Oh my <laughs> god! <laughs> wow! <laughs> and no one's parents intervened at any point in those three days. No, that was just the kind of kid that Actually, this guy that was. Actually, that's the kind of stuff that would have terrified me as a kid. Like, yeah, I, I mean, had some you neighbors saw, like, who were into like really hardcore weird porn that they were getting off Kazaa and shit, and I'm oh, like, god. this is so much scarier than any like Exorcist movie. So much scarier. Ooh, that's a. Yeah. This is like a a millennial thesis where like the things we were scared of were things that you could find on the internet by accident, not something presented <laughs> the, to you in the safe format the of VHS. After watching that video, someone was like, "Hey, do you want to go see like Blair Witch, Book of Shadows, or something?" You'd be like, "I just saw a woman shitting into somebody else's mouth." I'm, <laughs> like, I'm fine. I will never be the same again. Goodbye. <laughs> like nothing, nothing is gonna phase me. Um, wow. Disturbing. Disturbing. Although I, I do, actually, it's amazing Katie, to me. I, it's like, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think Katie, you're hitting on something here that maybe a lot of us don't have, and I'm speaking broadly because who knows what our listeners think about this, but that we don't have horror movies that we're like collectively scared of or that we want to rent and watch with a group and like see how who gets freaked out when. I mean, I just didn't have that experience because we weren't watching movies on Halloween. We were trick or treating and being like assholes around our neighborhood but <laughs> we were watching I, I i watched most of my horror movies just over like an entire summer i watched every single stephen king adaptation wow it was like the langoliers miniseries and the Knockers miniseries and it was because uh, we wanted to watch the exorcist but my neighbor's mom was really into like crystals and souls and shit and she was very scared of the exorcist <laughs> she wouldn't allow the exorcist 
in the house, and I certainly mm. wouldn't be able to rent that kind of movie. So we just watched all the like kind of scary Stephen King movies that were pumped out in the uh, early '90s, and that that was my Halloween. That's the closest thing I have to a Halloween. I was movie afraid memory. to watch Solo for a long time. Um, but, I'm still afraid to watch Solo. Well, as you should be. <laughs> Unfortunately, it, <laughs> I never uh, saw someone shit in someone else's mouth either. So. <laughs> exactly. But I thought Solo might be like <laughs> until a, you got a, to uh, liberal arts college. And then, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> until uh, orientation at Wesleyan. But the, <laughs> I, I thought Solo was maybe a, a bridge even further than that, the infamous video about which we we don't need to revisit. Um, and then when the Criterion Edition came out, I mean, there was really no way around it for me. Uh, my my interests were not allowing me to circumnavigate to, to get around that challenge, and uh, yeah. Did you do it with the group, or did you just like no, you're like, well, David, no. time to go to my sad corner again. Watch and a movie I, I will by say myself. that Sallow, the the effect that that movie can have on someone was not overstated, even as someone as battle hardened as myself. Uh, there, the faces in that movie really. It's not even necessarily what they're doing. It was just like the the one guy with the. Lazy eye, uh, you know. No offense to anyone with the. There's probably a, a more PC way of even saying lazy eye these days, uh, as there probably should be. But um, but there is a, a gentleman in the film who that happens to be his uh, the most memorable characteristic. But man, frightening stuff. Anyway, uh, I don't it's know just, if I'd want to watch. It seems like people. it's a it's a sad life with knowing how many films that you see that you dislike, knowing that you're going through every one of those experiences all alone. Oh man. <laughs> well. Uh, there. That's definitely not true. I mean, the vast majority of movies that I watch these days are are uh, well, that's the, are, are in screenings or in theaters or with other people. Um, or, Although, or they're when you bring something home, links. like we know your girlfriend's smart enough not to watch some of this garbage with you. So anything <laughs> watched? At, I mean, as is Michael. Like we we're all with people who seem smart enough not to watch Solo with us. <laughs> they don't want. Yes, to. but I think I, I will also claim some of the credit for myself that I'm smart enough not to make my girlfriend watch solo um like that that seems to me like especially before you you like the first time watching it an experience you really want to feel out for yourself um in the realm of the senses possibly the same way although i can see the appeal of watching that movie in a crowd for the first time and just like uh i saw the devils the ken russell film with my girlfriend at bam uh halloween i guess last year and uh that was a lot of fun yeah i think i I think i've had i've had better communal scary movie watching in recent years than I ever did as a kid when you think it's in the prime. I was telling you guys before the show that I recently sat down and watched Kill List again, which, you know, Ben Wheatley's movie from, I think, 2011, I want to say. I don't, someone that sounds, Kill List? That sounds yeah. right-ish. Yeah, that's right. Um, that, you know, I went gaga over that movie when I saw it at South By. I've watched it two or three times since, and this was, uh, you know, fifth viewing. And I lost my mind again, especially because I set it up. I'm like, let's watch a horror movie. It's October. And no one could decide what to do. So I'm like, you guys got to see Kill List. I knew they wouldn't have seen it. Um, fiance and my a couple friend. And immediately upon hearing that it was a horror movie, they got excited. And then I think the first scene is them drawing the symbol of the Kill List mm-hmm. on the screen. Okay, creepy. Ooh, it's going to be some sort of like a cult thing. Great. And then it's just this British couple screaming at each other for like 20 minutes. <laughs> And everyone's going to be weird eyes. And then finally, there's that moment where, like, the woman goes to the bathroom and draws the symbol again. And it's it's so good. Like, everyone was creeped the fuck out. And I had such a good time watching people but not know what anxious? they're thinking or, like, like not being so I get so really like, like, curating like things for other people like that. Like, yeah, I, I get anxious. I remember... Uh, 
seeing there will be blood at the premiere of the Ziegfeld and like Paul Thomas Anderson was sprinting down the aisles throughout the movie, going up to the projection booth to make sure they augmented the sound. You could see him checking out the audiences. And it's like, I feel that way every time I'm just showing people a movie that I vouch oh, for. I was on edge <laughs> during Killis because I, you know, telling someone that it's a horror movie, I felt like 10 minutes in, I made a huge mistake because expectations are going to be totally different and they're not going to be open to experiencing what this movie is about to dish out. But then I, I started kind of mellowing out because they were freaking out because mm. there was genuine confusion that this movie was surprising people. And that made me feel really good. But it's tough in our line of work when we are, you know, counted on to to endorse these things that I was saying before we started recording tonight. That sometimes, and like, you, especially when I used to live with roommates uh, rather than just my girlfriend, and I would like force everyone to sit down and watch a movie. I would leave when it started playing because I, I couldn't really bear to be uh, in the same room gauging the reactions. Um, that's that's all. That's, that's I share makes this me very anxious with you. Yeah. No, I, I is... you you mentioned this before the podcast, and I didn't understand why you would ever leave, but I I get it because we turn on Killers, mm-hmm. and I'm immediately like, what if they don't like this movie? I'm gonna mm-hmm. look like a freak for liking it. And I so I guess from listening to you guys talk about it, it's like there was when I was getting together and watching like scary movies or movies that somebody had a copy of when I was like a little kid, that was all about like sitting down with people that you trusted to have, you were going to have a reaction in front of them and they could be trusted with that in some way. And so now it sounds like patches, maybe you would get more of a thrill out of something like Rocky Horror Picture Show or like seeing a horror movie in anonymity because then you get to have the experience uh, anonymously and you don't have to have like a trust between people watching it. I don't know. Or I David, feel like maybe? I'd want to be having the fun with people. And I think fun, I th- Rocky Horror is tough because, you know, I want to sing songs and I want to be goofy and I love how flamboyant it is. And I'm, you know, I'm into musicals and people who aren't are automatically going to hate it. And you don't want to like fun is harder to capture than collective shock and awe. I think mm. you'd be in a room with a Gaspar Noe film and everyone's just going to have their jaws on the floor and you could feel assured of that. Um, and 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 you don't have to worry. But like to present someone someone with something fun and and scared is the same thing. I think it's hard to find a good movie that will scare people, not shock them necessarily, but like spook them. That's tough. Uh, and I don't see many movies like that. So I would feel more, I, I wouldn't want to watch it alone because I want to enjoy it with someone, but I also want to feel assured that I'm going to get that reaction out of them. I don't know. Weird, weird dichotomy there. Yeah. I think particularly when a movie like Kill List or like the Duke or something like a horror film, uh, is not just, not just, uh, something that you are recommending because it's scary, but something that you, you really like and, uh, and sort of enjoy as a, as a film beyond just that sort of visceral experience of watching it. Um, and I think especially around the Halloween season, there can be a sense of misplaced expectations. Um, well, there's so many remember- horror movies. You're better off just renting something you've never seen before and yeah. watching it with a group. Or consulting, like, what, what's the name of uh, the new um, horror streaming service that Sam Zimmerman's yeah. curating? Yeah. Shudder. Shudder, yeah. I mean, like, there's a guy I trust for his taste in, in horror. He knows more about horror than I will ever will. And uh, he, and you see this happening more and more now with these specialized curatorial services, like things that are Netflix, but 
uh, unlike Netflix, actually has <laughs> movies that are worth watching or just movies to begin with. Um, and and so like that would be a great resource, and you could go on there and pick a film that sounds right for whatever crowd you happen to be in and all join in the fun together. I'm going to say I'm not exactly sure what anchors something around this time of year, but it's an excellent excuse, I feel, for like some communal film watching and to not be like David Ehrlich no. just, for, just for a little while. You shouldn't just need for an one excuse night. not to be like me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. Tell us what you're going to watch over Halloween. That's what I want to know. What people are actually going to go out and do and curate for their friends or or take a a risk on. Yeah, if you're curating or if you're risking something yourself or what what you're drawn to, let, let us know. it for today's fighting in the war room we'll be back on friday to talk about jobs steve jobs and also about jobs creation in the economy it's a very important idea in the meantime tell the people who you are i'm at patches and i am a senior writer at esquire.com and i'm on twitter at mr patches and we have a website fighting in the post all the episodes you can comment you can share it you can tell us what horror movie you're gonna watch this october fightingintheworm.com I'm David Ehrlich. I am starting a new job next Woo! week as a staff writer at Rolling Stone, and uh, we'll see how that goes. And you can find all of us uh, unchanged at Facebook uh, at Fighting in the War Room. I'm Dave Gonzalez. My first name, DA70. That's also my Twitter handle, where I will tweet it out to the places you can find me. Still scraping data at geek.com from last week. Also, do some podcasts on this feed one of which is called The Thought Bubble. It's about comics. Uh, last week we did a primer on Flash Speedsters because this season of the show is going to introduce a ton of them. So if you want to know what the cosmic treadmill is and what future Earbud Thawne was from, check out last week's Thought Bubble. Wow. The cosmic treadmill is how I referred my career. Uh, <laughs> I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com. And on the podcast, Little Gold Men, going strong. More Oscar talk than you can possibly handle. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And Twitter's an also, also a place to find all of us at F-I-T-W-R. You can talk to us or just answer this week's lightning round question. What was it? In honor of Steve Jobs, who is cinema's most forgivable absentee parent? Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday. The clock ticking, I just count the hours Stop tripping, I'm tripping off the power Till then, bump that, the world's ours And they tell